Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 65, Breaking Action Reports, Runway Condition Notums, Experimenting with ADSB, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation moon calves. Starting first with Mr. Carl Valeri. Welcome, Carl. Hey, I'm uh, just happy to be here, but I, I didn't realize I was a moon calf tonight, but this is a, a, a wonderful opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm actually in, in what used to be sunny Florida. It has just been raining all day long, and uh, it's just not something we're used to here. And they, they shut down a lot of things today just because there's a little bit of rain. But uh, I know you're up north, and uh, it's probably a lot colder there, and, and I can't complain, that's for sure. <laughs> we uh, have got our fair share of snow. In fact, when I was driving home tonight, uh, it was uh, snowing yet again. So, yeah, well, not, too, not really feeling too bad for you in your rain, but... Um, nevertheless, welcome. It's good to have you. Our, uh, <laughs> our next aviation mooncalf, Mr. Sean Moody, who I understand has, uh, you know, for a very brief time given um, Mr. Winter the middle finger. And hey, I guess you were down in the, in the, in the islands for a while. I was. Uh, yeah, Grenada for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, lows of about 78, highs of about 82. And Lots of sand and rum, and uh, it was a little <laughs> bit difficult to to come back to you know I think it was eight degrees when I landed here in uh, Kentucky last night. So um, I may just after we're done recording go lay down and wake up in about four months or so. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I certainly don't blame you. Well, welcome. We're glad now, you had it. Now wait a minute. What what are we tonight? Uh, aviation moon calves. Do you know moon calves? Yeah, a a foolish or absent-minded person. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about right. That's what my wife calls me. (laughs) Every time Carl says wife, I'm still not used to that term yet. I know. I forget Carl's married. (laughs) That's so strange. I know. I said I was my girlfriend the other day. I was like, oh, that's right. I'm married. (laughs) That's right. I got to use that other term. Yeah. So now now this is like a game of musical chairs, and I'm the one without the chair now. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Well, welcome, Sean. Glad to have you back. We're uh, happy to hear that you had a nice and restful and warm, enjoyable time down in Granada. And uh, Mr. Rick Felty, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Drinking rum, but not because I'm in another country. No, I'm not (laughs) drinking rum. It's really cold. I mean, it's as Carl was talking about, we was talking about the pre-show too, how cold it is up here for all a lot of us. And uh, But, you know, having fun. Winter is winter. It is winter, and I think that uh, this is going to be my last. I, I feel like uh, I feel like a change is a brewing. I could see myself sitting somewhere in an island, maybe in Thailand, where it's nice and warm all year round. I'll promise to send postcards at uh, Christmas time, and uh, yeah, I've awesome. Just, I've just, you know, winter's winter, but 
I don't want to. I don't want to have another winter for a while. I think I'm going to go live somewhere warm. For I like Carl's thing. You know, he lives in paradise. He never has to go on vacation when he's home. He's in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I mean, it's Tell my wife that it's a smart. He's a smart man. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Miss Victoria, yeah. Wait, is it trying to tell me something? You're moving in? <laughs> well, not yet. Yeah, I, you know, you offered that, but then you got another cat, and you gave my room up. So, you know, I can't share a room with the That's cat. That's true. Cat bedroom. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, well, it's good to have you as well, Rick. Uh, Miss Victoria Zyko is uh, under the weather today. She will not be joining us. We hope to have her back on the next show. I'm Len Costa, and this is episode number 65. Let's do the pre-flight. So we've got a few announcements today, starting first with Sean. Tell us what's happening in the uh, Kentucky area, Sean. Yeah, pretty exciting news. Uh, Here in Kentucky, we don't really have a whole lot of air shows, but we do have something called Thunder Over Louisville, which is the uh, kickoff to the Kentucky Derby Festival every uh, April. And it includes um, a huge fireworks show, but leading up to that all day, they've got um, acts going up and down the the uh, river, the, the Ohio River there in Louisville. And uh, this year they've announced that the Blue Angels are going to make an appearance. So that's a pretty big deal for us here in Kentucky. And that's going to be on April 12th, 2014, um, and pretty much all day long. So if you're out there anywhere near the Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio area, I would be heading down to uh, the Ohio Riverfront in Louisville that day. That sounds exciting. Carl, tell us about your announcements. Well, one of them is actually an event that keeps going all year long, and it's the free hot dogs over at uh, Sporty's Pilot Shop. <laughs> and I know we, we this isn't Carl, a true flying. Is this what happens? Uh, when yes, we I, I actually am. <laughs> I was about to make hot dogs tonight just, just because of this event. <laughs> They've served over 211,000 hot dogs already so far to date at Sporties. And you can fly in, drive in, walk in, whatever you can do. It's from noon to 2 every Saturday. And that goes on every year. And if you're, uh, it, it's a great way to get people in there and talk aviation. And uh, it's a wonderful way for them to advertise their business. But I think that's pretty cool to go out there and uh, eat some hot dogs. Right there on the taxiway, they actually have a grill and you can go out there. You have to bring your own drinks or something like that. I think there's a vending machine, et cetera. But uh, I think that's pretty cool. So I thought I'd mention that. I'm not sure if we talked about that before. No, but that, uh, but tell us, how, how many have you been able to ever go? Oh, well, Sean, I haven't been there. But Sean, I think Sean, you might have Sean. been to one of yeah. the events. Oh, I've had, I've had many a hot dog up at Sporties. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you're there, uh, get the Cheddar Mets. Those are the uh, the really, really good ones. They're sort of a, I don't know, Cincinnati's got a whole lot of German heritage and a lot of the sausages there. And so they, uh, in addition to the regular hot dogs, they've got all kinds of other uh, uh, good sausage and that kind of thing. But absolutely, it's a great time. There's always a big crowd. Uh, you go up in the uh, the cafe area and look for the liars table and uh, hear some good conversation. The liars table. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. You, you you can't sit down and tell the truth there. You gotta you gotta tell a good aviation lie. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That that sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm I'm I really won't look forward to to going there. So maybe sometime, uh, Sean, we can meet up there. Absolutely, I'd be up for it. Yes, from there. That's cool. Awesome stuff, but that's so. So it's easy to find. Go to Sporty's Pilot Shop. We'll put a link to it at sporties.com on our website. Um, so that's one event that goes on all year round. There's another event that's coming up uh, February 23rd, though. We talked a lot before about flying to Canada, and their National Aviation Day is actually on the 23rd of February, and that's at the uh, up in Ottawa, and it's going to be at the uh, how do you say that uh, Rockcliffe Airport, and they have the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum there. And they're going to have all 
all sorts of stuff. We talked about this, I think, as far as the museum's concerned. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, one of the other, the sort of the reliever Ottawa airports that one of our listeners wrote in about. Right, right. And and what's really cool is they're going to have like little, uh, like an F-16 flight simulator there, you know, like hang gliding, all sorts of neat things like that, that kids can get involved with and, and kids of all ages, adults, et cetera. There's, uh, they're going to have <clears throat> some really um, cool different storytelling times and uh, talking about the different uh, aspects of Canadian aviation and the importance of Canadian aviation to the world of aviation. So uh, if you get a chance and you're in the area, stop by the airport that you can drive or fly in. But again, it's on February 23rd, and we're going to have the uh, the link to the uh, Aviation and Space Museum in Ottawa. Uh, if If nothing else, go check out the website. There's some really cool stuff out there and some really interesting things about uh, – uh, aspects of Canadian aviation, but also aviation in general, and you can actually learn a little something about aviation. So check that out. So February 23rd, uh, or you can check out the website, and we'll have a link to it. Excellent. Uh, I was recently out at uh, Aviation Universe here in Bensonville, Illinois, working on a project with uh, with owner Laura Yowell. We were out there, and she was showing me some of the fun things they had in the store, and I was like, you know what, let's talk about some of these. So we uh, created a quick episode, episode 64A, available at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 64A. It is called Favorite Things in the Aviation Universe, uh, and she showed me some really cool things they have um, in the store, not just, you know, it's a pilot shop, but they have a lot more than books and charts and stuff. They had some really cool uh, belt buckles, um, vintage mugs, and all kinds of other stuff, and uh, a lot of a lot of books on, like, past aviation history that uh, was really interesting. So you should check that episode out. Uh, it's about 20 minutes long, and like I said, we kind of share the uh, favorite things that we happen to find in the store locally there. Of course, if you're interested in joining our VIP email list, you can sign up stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash VIP. Get all of our updates delivered right to your email inbox. Never miss a thing again. And for those of the... Um, those listeners on our list already know that uh, sometimes we send out sneak previews to uh, episodes before they're released to the public. Uh, most recently, we had a little swag giveaway after I was doing some really early spring cleaning, and I found some old stickers and magnets and uh, was able to send those out to our VIP list. So definitely check that out. And of course, uh, mentioning Aviation Universe, a uh, quick shout out to our sponsor, uh, Chicago's premier aviation emporium, once again in Bensonville, Illinois. Wonderful folks over there. Uh, fortunately, when I was there this week, I didn't get to see the the dogs, Wilbur and Orville, but uh, nevertheless, um, really great group of folks. In fact, uh, some people were coming in, some customers coming into the store. I got a chance to chat with them. Really, uh, really passionate uh, customer base there. Everybody just loves to come in and spend some time. And, uh, you know, great folks. We're happy to have them on the show. You can uh, visit them, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash aviation universe. Now, uh, Carl, want to give a quick update uh, to IACRA. And then we're going to talk about, uh, since winter is upon us, we're going to do a little bit of a, uh, a breaking action review and runway condition notams. And then uh, follow it up with a discussion about ADSB, which, uh, in fact, if I believe, it's probably uh, the, the first one of us to actually fly using some ADSB equipment. So, uh, Carl, let's first hear about your IACRA update. Oh, yeah. The, uh, as a matter of fact, I've recently uh, got my type rating and the A320, my PIC type rating. So I had a pilot and command type rating. So I had to fill out a, the IACRA form, had to do an upgrade uh, type rating, etc. Well, one of the things that I want to bring 
to people's attention. If you're going to fill out the form for your rating, uh, you have to go online and, and fill out the IACRA form, and you have to do it properly. But one of the, the, the big items that gets most people and something that, that was drilled in my head during this whole process and, and I had forgotten about this is make sure if you're going to fill out the form that the name of your medical examiner is exactly the same as it is on your medical. Uh, there's actually been some problems with the editing on the IACRA form, problems, I should say, that the IACRA form is very picky as far as editing and after it's submitted and there's been problems in the past with it. So make sure it's exactly the same as the medical, as your medical. Uh, so if, for instance, where it says medical examiner, make sure the name is appears exactly. If it's an uppercase, put uppercase, lowercase. If there's a period in the middle name or no period, you know, you make sure it, it matches it exactly the same because there's been a lot of problems with that as far as editing is concerned. So I just want to bring that to people's attention that if you're going for another rating, uh, you need, need to make sure you fill out the Iraq reform properly. It's one of those items that's uh, the, the hardest part about it. So, so make sure you get – and it's on uh, the FAA's website. The Iac reform is out there. IACRA, if you do a IACRA uh, Google, you'll be able to find it. We'll have a link to it too. Mm-hmm. Just thought I'd bring that to your attention. That's a, that's a good uh, a good update. I've, I've, I think we've probably all used – well, may, um, let's see. Rick, you haven't had a certificate but uh, in, a, in a while since you're private. But did you use IACRA in, on your yeah. original? You did. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Sean, have you used IACRA? I'm pretty sure I did on the commercial. Um, private was so long ago, I don't really even yeah. remember. Um, but I'm pretty sure commercial I did, yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's. Uh, I use it on my most recent uh, CFI renewal, and it's really great. I liked you know just going in there and filling everything out, and then just showing up with uh, you know a couple of numbers for the examiner to pull up, and and all the paperwork was there and ready uh, ahead of time. So um, appreciate the update, Carl. Now entering cruise flight. Today I was going to talk a little bit about. I'm actually going to be sharing quite a lot of information. Uh, the good thing is I spent uh, this afternoon actually disseminating all of this information, putting it together in a chart uh, that we're going to have available on the podcast. Uh, I'll mention the link after we do talk about it. But, you know, there's um, a lot uh, kind of in my aviation news feed I've been seeing, and I, I know we're all kind of aware, winter poses a lot of challenges to flight operations. But I've been, you know, I've been seeing a little bit of a increase in, um, you know, runway and taxiway incidents with aircraft slipping and sliding. And so I thought that today might be a good time to kind of review uh, breaking action uh, reports and runway condition notums. So like I said, there's going to be a lot of information. So you don't have to necessarily uh, write down or memorize everything I'm going to talk about today. I have a quick reference for you to to pull up after the fact, print it off, save it, whatever you want to do. But We'll just kind of go uh, across this um, this chart that I've created, and we'll first kind of discuss uh, breaking action. Now, there's breaking action of good, medium to good, medium, medium to poor, poor, and nil. Um, basically, good breaking action is when uh, more braking capability is available than is used in typical deceleration on uh, on the runway. Uh, medium would be when you start to see a noticeable de- uh, degraded braking condition. Poor would be very degraded braking condition. You can uh, expect and plan for a significantly longer stopping distance, such as might be expected on an ice-covered runway. Uh, and nil is exactly as it sounds. Braking action is minimal to non-existent. Um, I will obviously, I don't think any of my co-hosts would ever land in runway conditions that uh, that were nil. But you know, when I start to see stuff that's sometimes even in medium and poor. 
um, I'm going to even consider diverting to another airport. And I know that at the airline world, one of our alternates is also a braking action alternate or a runway condition alternate, depending on uh, if we're flying somewhere, if uh, the NOTAM is already reporting you know, that there's a sort of questionable runway condition that uh, we're not actually necessarily going to, you know, we are, I shouldn't say necessarily, but, we, you know, we already have a um, an alternate for that reason. That's So that's kind of one thing you might want to think of when you're flight planning out there and you're trying to go from point A to point B if you already have an awareness and uh, either the um, the METARs and the NOTAMs, you know what's going on, some of the things you want to take, uh, take into consideration. Now, the there there's a bunch of stuff here. The ICAO code for good braking is five. Um, medium to good is four. Medium is three. Medium to poor is two. And poor conditions, according to ICAO, is one. Now that makes nil uh, zero, which is is fairly uh, self-explanatory. Then you get into the mu readings, which is uh, a function of friction. Now. Um, Anything that's above 40 is going to be considered good. Uh, 30 to 35 will be medium. Below 25 will be poor. And uh, that, that's, you know, below 25, anything lower than that, you're going to be, you know, nil to poor. Uh, some of the things that, um, as far as runway condition notams, and here's sort of the long list that I don't necessarily want you to scribble down right now while I'm talking about them, but I'll just read them off to you. Now, when you're looking at your notams, and you see these uh, these acronyms for runway conditions. Here's a, here's a few of them um, that I've compiled. I'm not 100% sure that I have them all, and I'm going to continue to work on this uh, on this list in the next couple of days. But right now, I've got a pretty good selection. Uh, the abbreviation IR, India Romeo. Now, that stands for ice on the runway. Uh, the next one, Lima Sierra Romeo, LSR, just uh, like it sounds like, LSR, loose snow on runways. A lot of these can sometimes be, uh, you know, self-explanatory or a little bit intuitive. Uh, PLW, plow, means uh, plow, plowed, or plowing. PSR, which is packed snow on runways. There's DRFT for drifting, uh, drifting snow or drifted snow. Another one here, SIR, which is snow and ice on runways. We have SLR, which uh, is slush on runways. There's uh, SNBNK for snowbank. SND, Sierra November Delta, for sand, sanded, or sanding, uh, meaning that uh, the, the surface is, uh, has been sanded or is currently being sanded. SNW for snow. Another one, another intuitive one, WR, Whiskey Romeo, stands for wet runway. Uh, the next one, Whiskey Sierra Romeo, is wet snow on runways. Whiskey Tango Romeo is water. And then the uh, next four are breaking action in the abbreviated form, Brag, Braff, Brap, and Bran. And Bran's not the cereal. Brag is breaking action good. Braff, B-R-A-F, is breaking action fair. B-R-A-P, breaking action, poor, and B-R-A-N, breaking action, nil. So those are a couple of things to just review. And the uh, chart that I've put together is uh, available as a PDF. You can download it, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash breaking action. That's uh, available for you to download, print off, uh, put in your kneeboard, take with you for a quick reference, uh, use out there 
while you're flying. So I know Carl and I have had some experiences with, uh, and we've talked about them on the show before, with uh, taxiing and doing run-ups uh, with, with icy conditions. But uh, how about, uh, you know, Rick or Sean? What are you, or, uh, yeah, Rick or Sean, excuse me. What are your experiences uh, with landing in snowy conditions or, you know, snowy runways or taxiways? My, my only, I'll just jump in and say, I, I don't think, you know, as a PIC, I've really ever had a tricky situation like that. Um, everything, you know, if, if there were, if there was snow, there had been snow, but the runways were clear and there was really no breaking action issues. When I was a student, um, we did some, you know, early, early on, I recall doing some flying with the, my CFI and he did the landing because they were reporting, you know, break. The, the, I mean, I, I recall the phrase was just breaking action, <laughs> which is sort of just be aware you might, you know, there wasn't a number on it, as I recall. It was just that phrase. So he did the landing, and we rolled out. We rolled out a little farther than usual in the mm-hmm. in the Cirrus. So that that's my memory of it. But otherwise, my sort of flight, you know, what what my flight conditions limits have pretty well protected me from needing to worry about that, uh, at least personally. I don't know about you, Sean. Um, no, I've I've never had to land on anything. The the only thing that I remember sort of being beaten into my head was uh, looking out for snow drifts on the taxiways, or mm-hmm. you know where where they pile the snow up after they've plowed it. Um, if you you know you cut a corner too tight, uh, taxi into the runway, you may end up with a wingtip uh, stuck in a pile of snow. So that's the one thing that you know, I was always conscious of, but, um, being a guy who doesn't get paid to fly, uh, if it didn't look great, I was going back to the living room. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Uh, yeah. So those are just, uh, you know, kind of a review. Um, like I said, we've got, uh, this new little PDF that just, uh, it's nothing fancy, but just a quick reference, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash breaking action. Uh, A couple other things that I didn't really necessarily mention, obviously, um, uh, we've talked about you know how the landing roll would be a little bit longer. Another thing that's uh, kind of suggested is to use more aerodynamic braking and trying to keep that uh, you know the nose off the ground for as long as possible. Um, you know, one of the I guess the the most uh, pronounced I've ever experienced aerodynamic braking is in the jet at work when uh, if we if we're able to hold the nose off on that on the um, on the round out and, uh, or excuse me, after touchdown, the longer I can keep that nose off. I mean, you can, you can, without deploying the reverse thrust buckets, you can really feel that airplane slow down. So there's a lot to be said about aerodynamic braking. And, uh, you know, if it's snowy, it's icy, it's, you're not going to necessarily stomp on the brakes and try and make that first taxiway. You're just pretty much going to let the airplane, uh, roll, um, you know, and, and let friction help slow you down. One of the other things is actually, uh, I, I don't know if, Rick, if you've actually been up there. We've talked about the ice runway up in Alton Bay, right. New Hampshire. No, I've not. Um, I've not done that. I was up there a few winters ago just to, you know, just to check it out. And uh, it, was a, it was actually a weekend, so it was pretty busy. And it was just really interesting to watch people on, I mean, the, it's, it's a portion of Alton Bay on Lake Winnipesaukee is a seaplane port in the summertime. And so during the winter, when the bay freezes over, they put a little uh, a um, what you call it. I'm trying to think of a uh, oh an ice fishing house out there, and kind of you know a guy with a transceiver is out there, sort of helping direct traffic. And guys are landing. They actually plow on the ice on the bay there. They plow a runway, and it's really interesting because when you're you know that's a really exaggerated version because the whole the whole surface is ice. 
So watching guys go out there, I mean, you're your uh, run-up is um, sometimes very brief or it's done on on the roll because you can't hold the brakes on, you know, on a frozen lake and do a run-up without, uh, you know, without sliding around. So that's cool. I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) That, you know, that's, that's one thing, but uh, watching them, you know, it seems like taking off is not, uh, not as much of a concern as landing, but you can tell, you know, that, Surprisingly enough, because I'm looking at this runway, going, man, it it's it is a shorter runway, but it's really interesting to see how fast even the friction of the ice and the compact snow on there slows the aircraft down, um, and uh, it's just a really in, a really interesting thing to do if you ever have an opportunity. If you're in New England, mm-hmm. uh, usually during January and February, uh, the ice runway is open. In fact, we talked about this uh, before. We we're gonna uh, Rick and I off off the air. We're gonna try and see when it was open, but yeah. Um, after you you're know, back they, from your, uh, you know, from, my, being, my, from being warm. From being warm for a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so there we go. So that's a little just, a, you know, kind of a quick reference, a quick review of breaking action reports and runway condition uh, notums. Now, Carl was going to share a, uh, a really cool story, as a matter of fact, a really cool experience with ADSB. And before we do get started, Carl, I wanted to ask uh, Rick and Sean, um, have you guys used ADSB yet? I myself have not. No, I have not. No, I haven't. Okay, so so none of us. We all are kind of pretty aware of what uh, what it right. does offer currently, what it hopes and intends to offer in the future. Uh, Carl, you recently got to go on sort of a experimental slash certification flight uh, for the ADSB program. Tell us more about that. Well, yeah, and actually, it, I was so lucky to do this flight. I, I was really blessed to be able to have the opportunity to take this flight. But uh, before I start, if uh, just a little bit about ADSB, and uh, I do have an article on my website, ADSB and Me: The Next Generation of Air Traffic Control, and what's in it for me. There's a lot of discussions. We'll have links to all this. I'm not going to go into too much about what ADSB is, but it is this: it allows you to actually look at other traffic that is out there, and also get information about weather, and in the future, you'll be able to have communications through commercial operators to your aircraft. So if you have a service, say, you can communicate with your aircraft, kind of like a cars in the airline world where they can send text messages, etc. But the biggest thing is ADSB has two sides of it. It's, it's part of that whole next generation system. There's the in and there's the out. ADSB out means you have this system within your aircraft which transmits your altitude, airspeed, heading, uh, and all the information about your flight. And that is relayed through a ground-based system, but also is relayed through other uh, airplanes in the airspace. So, for instance, if somebody else has ADSB, they can actually read what you're your altitude, airspeed, and all the information about your flight is if they have that in system. Now, what I got to do, and this was really cool, is I, I got to do the, the FAA certification flight for the Airbus A320 uh, the other night. And in the middle of the night, it was really cool. What we did is we had an aircraft, and it was really interesting because it was an experimental aircraft, which had ADSB in and also ADSB out. Now, ADSB out is in a lot of aircraft, like the uh, the aircraft that uh, uh, from Europe, etc. But what was really interesting about this uh, is the fact that it took so many hours 
to actually prepare for this flight. By the time we got up in the air, it was about two hours after our briefing began. And we, we were to fly. The, the gist of the whole flight was to be able to tell what another aircraft was doing, but also, and this is the most important part towards the next generation of air traffic control, be able to space ourselves behind another aircraft without the intervention of air traffic control. That, I thought, was really cool. For instance, we were our goal was to stay three minutes behind another airplane. And we, we flew this pattern, uh, a pattern that was in, it was like a big rabbit ear pattern over the Atlantic Ocean. And we were to come back to a certain point. And at that point, we were to be three minutes behind the other aircraft. We were a two-ship formation when we took off. And we were to be three minutes behind that other aircraft. And it was pretty cool. We were dead on with the other aircraft after an hour of flying over the Atlantic. It was really cool. But the, the, the fascinating thing about this system is that you get all this information. And, you can, and I know there's people out there in general aviation that have actually seen these systems years ago. But it's, it's neat that it's now uh, being implemented in, in the commercial world, but it's also going to be implemented in the GA world and become cheaper and cheaper. The uh, ADSB in, which allowed us to read the other person's information, was was just dead on. We we constantly were in communication with the other aircraft. I think we constantly asked their airspeed, their altitude, etc. We were telling them where they were, and it was perfect. It was just just everything was correct. Starting this flight, though, that moved back to where we actually started our flight. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I. Um, of course, I got picked for this flight, and I had no experience with any of this equipment. I, I didn't even know I was going to be doing this test flight until a few hours prior. And I walk in, and we have the FAA. We have our governmental affairs folks. We had the people from L3 Communications, Thales, all the big key players in this room. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is really cool stuff. So I'm like a kid in a candy shop. So I'm just like, this is, this is awesome. This is so interesting. And, and we're planning out this flight, but before we get going, one of the parts of ADS-B is not just in the air. It's on the ground. And using these electronic flight bags, that was uh, also a portion that made us an experimental because we didn't actually have electronic flight bags in the Airbus, the A320 that we have. And plus, obviously, the system for the ADS-B was installed, so that made it experimental. But it, it was really cool because what we did is we taxied around the airport and we followed other aircraft and for instance, say in front of us was, um, let's see, it was like a Korean Air 747. We could actually follow that 747 around on the taxiways. And all the other people that had ADSB, we were able to see them. And most of the European carriers have ADSB out. So we were able to see their, their data blocks and actually follow them all the way around the airport. And we did a little taxi test, you know, to make sure it was, it was accurate because it uses your GPS for positioning. And we had to make sure that each of the taxiways, that when we crossed the center of the taxiway, a crossing taxiway, I should say, we were actually in that position. We also, another cool thing is we watched other aircraft take off. So say you're in a low visibility situation. This, this is where it just blows me away. I can have such incredible situational awareness by being able to tell where everybody else is while I'm taxiing. And... When someone's taking off, we did this on purpose. We did it. We did a um, intersection takeoff. We had the the first aircraft that we were following go to the end of the runway while we were at an intersection, and we watched that other aircraft take off. 
And exactly when it said it was right next to us, it was right next to us, it was about 50 feet off the ground by the time it passed us. And right there, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this will reduce runway incursions tremendously because I will know that there's an aircraft on that runway, even if I can't see them, because they may be a, a half a mile down the runway, a quarter mile. So in low visibility situations, I think this is terrific. <clears throat> Now, anyway, we, we took off. We followed this aircraft. We came back. Everything went perfect. Uh, you know, we got the sign-off, et cetera, from the FAA. Now, the, the reason we were doing this flight also was the manufacturer of that unit uh, who has the Supplemental Type Certificate, or STC, uh, they were actually getting their certification that day, and so were we on our aircraft, which was really, really cool. We actually were the first Airbus A320 in the world to have uh, ADS-B in and out, on the aircraft. We weren't the first Airbus, though. We kind of missed that by a week. Uh, there was an Airbus A321, A330 that did a similar flight about a week prior to that. But it was just, just absolutely fascinating to see that this, this all came together. <laughs> and what, what, a couple little funny things, like, you know me, I, I, like to, I like gadgets and I like pushing things and stuff like that. Well, we're, we're flying along and I'm getting really comfortable. And the FAA guy sitting in the jump seat he, he, he's really into World War II history. So we, we started chatting because we were waiting for like a half hour. So we kind of had this rapport going. And as we're flying, he's asking me to do most of the stuff because he knows I'm not familiar with the system. And I think he was kind of figuring, hey, if Carl could do it, anybody could do it. You know, <laughs> so, so he kept asking, hey, Carl, how would you do this? How would you know this? How do you know if you're catching up to the other person? And and that was that was just uh, <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, you know this this guy he made me so comfortable that I started playing with the system, right? And so you got to remember, there's all these test engineers standing behind me, you know, looking over me, and I'm hitting there pushing buttons. So I, I hit a button, and what happened is I turned off the uh, data for the other aircraft that we were following, which we were supposed to follow three minutes behind. And all of a sudden, everybody goes, hmm, we just lost all of our data. What's going on here? You know, and they're all looking around, and I kind of look back, you know, kind of sheepishly and I say uh I think it was me guys <laughs> so then they said oh wait a minute wait a minute. we're gonna have you fix it and he says how would you fix this problem that you just got us into and so I was like okay so I I he uh, kind of walked me through it a little bit you know I said I'd push this button he's like okay push that button and and select the proper aircraft and then select that aircraft to follow and uh, so I did. I got the aircraft. I'm all proud of myself. And, and you know, of course, we got the, the test pilot in the left seat, the, you know, super senior captain guy. And he, he's, like, uh, he's like, yeah, that was a good job. He, he did really good trying to figure that out. He's, he said, but I want to tell you something. Don't touch anything else. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so I sat there for the rest of the night and didn't, didn't play with the equipment. But uh, he was kind of scolding me for, for touching stuff. But, uh, but that, was, that was what was... Uh, I think the most impressive part of ADS-B and this system itself is that the ability for us to select an aircraft in front of us and say, I want to follow the aircraft by three minutes, three minutes, and its ability to figure out if we're catching up or, or if we're getting too slow and getting a warning from the system that we're too fast, too slow, the system also told us what airspeed we should we should actually select to be able to fly behind that person so i you know i talk a lot about that and it was just it just it's really i was like mind-boggling i was like wow this is this is cool stuff and and there are some really good videos about adsb and what i'm talking about that were done actually over at embry riddle a few years ago as a matter of fact uh oh what's her name marissa falk uh she was if you remember she's the lady who, who uh drives the jet car over at embry riddle 
she was actually involved in the ADSB in the beginning there, and there's a, a good video of her talking about it. And she talks about the fact that she was able to see another aircraft and was able to, to do, make maneuvers so she wouldn't actually have a, any kind of a collision issue with that aircraft. She says it, pro- it possibly could have saved her life in, in that situation. One important thing, though, about ADSB, uh, a lot of people, I think, think that it's going to replace TCAS in, in, the avi- in the world of and transponders, in the world of, of, of uh, airlines. It's, it's not going to do that yet because it doesn't have that system built in. It's an information system. It's not a system that will resolve conflicts in traffic. That's why we still have to have that TCAS, especially when we go up at uh, 39,000 feet. So we're not going to replace that system in the airlines, but it, you're going to have to. Now, this is where it hits general aviation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to have to, by the 2020, have ADS-B installed in your aircraft, and that's going to enable you to transmit your information using, your again, your GPS information, your, your mm-hmm. end number to air traffic control, but it's going to be similar to when you need a transponder. The same airspace that you will need a transponder in, you're going to also need this ADSB. So there's there's a lot of issues that come up with that, especially with afford- affordability. You know, it's getting it, it's it's getting tougher to fly these days in our smaller aircraft. So you know, I know AOPA has been real key, and we have a link to a very good article about this. AOPA has been, has been a, a real key player in this whole ADSB debate, and I think that I think the, the the fact that it's very measured in the way that they're going about the implementation of ADSB for us in general aviation, I think over time we're going to see these systems actually get easier and easier to use, and, and it's uh, it's kind of like a it it's almost like mode C when I'm, I don't know if you remember when that happened, Len, but you know we were sitting about talking about the. Uh, Mode C transponders are going to be arguing about you know the cost that there's going to be with this and Mode S and stuff and 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 actually over time the costs of those systems have come down and uh, and the the other thing that's important in this whole whole ADSB as far as general aviation is the fact that you know we want to be able to fly in airspace without having ADSB and you're still going to be able to do that but you're not going to be able to fly in all airspace in twenty uh, twenty because of the fact that. Uh, everybody's going to have to have this ADSB within their aircraft. Some of those dates might move, obviously, over the years, but it looks like they're really moving forward uh, with the implementation. And uh, what's really cool, too, is that they're doing this over the Gulf of Mexico. So you're going to have all that information over the Gulf of Mexico. So now, uh, say you're flying and you're out of even radar contact, you can communicate with other airplanes uh, on the air-to-air frequency. Say you're over the water, that's one, two, three, four, five. You can You can actually... Talk to the other folks. Say, "Hey, uh, November so and so, how's the weather?" And and they're like, "Oh, it's you know, it's fine." Instead of having to try to guess who that aircraft is, you know. So I think that's pretty cool. As far as uh, there are, you know, obviously some limitations still. Um, when you're flying up high, uh, there's there's different kind of transceivers. There's two different types of transceivers. And when you're you're going to be flying up high, you're going to need the another uh, 1090. Uh, uh, tw- uh, squitter and skin. It's going to be a little bit uh, more, uh, you know, a different kind of a, a transmitting signal. It's a, these are two 1090 and I think it's 978 are the two frequencies that uh, you'll have on the as far as uh, being able to transmit and receive. So there's a there's a technical service order out there. You can read all about that. But uh, I really, it, you know, just concluding this, I think ADSB to me is. In my 182, say, or the, the 182A stone, what it does for me is it 
it's going it to kind of replace my XM weather at some point, I feel. Uh, when, in my next small airplane, it's going to also, uh, I think it's going to be great for, for the ability to have traffic information other than, you know, what I have now, but even better traffic information and the ability possibly in the future to get, to get weather updates uh, right there online and get uh, updated segments, et cetera. I know there's XM for that, but this is going to be through the uh, governmental system. So we'll see how it pans out. I don't know if, uh, if anybody else has had any experience or said, have been doing any reading about this ADSB, but as you can tell, I've been, been pretty excited about it, I guess because of the fact that I got to actually do this, this flight. Uh, you know, Len, have you ever used the ADSB? Have you guys seen any of this out there? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, it was just kind of a, a general overview of you know what the system is going to allow, and like I said uh, at the beginning, you know what the what the the future systems uh, should hold for uh, for pilots. Now, I was kind of curious though. You said that you guys were using uh, electronic flight bags as well, um, but right. what kind of display? What what display were you getting this information on? Was it the EFB or an actual new screen in, installed in the Airbus uh, cockpit? Uh, actually, um, okay, there's a little bit of both. There's number one, uh, the the EFP is EFB, the electronic flight bag, is where it's displaying the traffic information about the other aircraft, and we also had a new display a small display that was just a warning and a selection display where it would warn you that you're going too fast and it would tell you what, what speed to select. Okay. Other than that, everything is on the EFB. So, for instance, when we landed, the taxi diagram popped up on the EFB and it gave us the information about everybody else around us, mm-hmm. which I, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, that, that, that alone, uh, just for taxing alone, and you know, Len, from taxing, that's sometimes the scariest part of the flight is just getting out to the runway, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, I think that's the most common question I get as an airline pilot is, how do you know where you're going on the ground? And, and merely just from, you know, experience of going in and out of places, even though you go to places you've never been to before, there's still so obviously some common, common things about taxiing and just, uh, you know, the way we brief um, the the plates uh, and the taxi uh, our taxi routes, but uh, that is that's nice. I've enjoyed using some of the systems uh, even even back uh, when I was instructing the uh, one of the Avidyne systems. Um, you know when you had charts on screen on the uh, the oh geez now I can't remember which was, was the Avidyne Integra I think um, that screen. You could pull up you could pull up the, the the charts and on the taxi diagram you would see you know your position on there. This is long before foreflight and those types of devices. So, it, you know the technology is certainly certainly going to be very helpful. And I think you're completely correct that it's going to help uh, eliminate or I should say help reduce you know all kinds of in uh, airborne accidents and incidents on the ground accidents and incidents. It's going to be just a, a really great tool to keep the pilot more aware of what's going on around them. And I think importantly on that topic is the fact that this isn't going to replace your, your own traffic information system. It's going to right. be, you know, in addition to uh, augmenting that system. Mm-hmm. But it really gives you this huge situational awareness as far as traffic is concerned because now you can see traffic many, many miles away. And I think that's awesome. I think it's really awesome. It's I think the information reduce, system is awesome too. As pre- well, as, you know, it's probably going to reduce the workload on both behalfs of pilots and air traffic controls, since you know these the, the equipment is going to be doing 
some of the alerting and awareness that normally, you know, that might take away from other important tasks uh, for, you know, for both parties. So it's probably, you know, I don't see this ever replacing, um, you know, even air traffic controllers, but more of, uh, again, helping them alleviate some of uh, some of the unnecessary radio calls or other things that, you know, there's that possibility that it just, it, it clears up the frequency for more important communications. You know, Len, I think along that point, there's been some of the criticism is uh, that it's going to take away from not just air traffic control, but they're going to get rid of radar. Well, in certain areas, they may just get rid of certain radars, but it's not going to happen uh, on a <laughs> systemic basis. Of well, course, there's I'm areas so where... F- yeah, I know. It's Mexico. <laughs> you fly in Mexico, there's no radar below 20,000 right. feet anyway, so what's the difference? It's just, exactly. It's what, what exactly. Some people, I get, you know, depending on where you operationally uh, you know, fly your aircraft... Um, not that you and I fly there all the time, but you can still fly an airplane without radar. So let's just put it that sure. way. It's 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 not uh, it's not impossible. Oh sure, and you know I I fly non radar actually quite a bit down the islands in certain areas. There's no radar, and um, but you don't need radar. It's just you, you read your charts, etc. But this system allows you to know who else is out there. Uh, and I know that some of the people out there listening will say, "Well, I have that already." Um, you know what's the difference? Well, the difference is this: this is actually going to be uh, mo- a little more accurate because it's using actually your GPS position using ADSB, and uh, there are some systems in uh, talking general aviation that you can actually buy. Uh, there's this little white box; I can't remember the name of it. You can put it on your your dash and help me out if you if you can remember the name of it. But it's pretty cool. Uh, like, Rick, do you remember that one? I think it's, it's like, the one he's talking about that just came out. The new version of uh, yeah, it's like. It's white. So now I'm having a brain fart. Too. Yeah. No, anyway, it's it's pretty cool. You can actually get the all this information. And my buddy was saying, I think he was going to put it for like five six hundred dollars. I think is that about right? Somewhere in there for for installation in his aircraft. And but, it is the Stratus. I think you're talking <laughs> the about the Stratus. Stratus. There you go. There yes, you go. that is exactly what I'm talking about. I knew some of it figured out. Yeah, cool stuff though. Yeah. yeah. And then, and you can tie that into you know your own electronic flight bag, four flight, whatever you have. And uh, you know, again, the the the, the next generation is happening, and I think it's pretty cool. We're cool. we're investing in our infrastructure, and this is one of the biggest ways, without increasing much of our costs, but increasing safety on an individual basis. I know people are going to say it's going to be a bit of an increase in cost, but as we get more systems out there, the cost, of course, I think will come down. And uh, and I know we have AOPA on our side arguing, you know. Uh, for us, and and I think we're we're going to be able to still fly our experimentals. We're still going to be able to fly without any type of electronics in our airplanes. So, so don't worry there. But certain airspace, you're, you're going to have to have it. And we got a long time till implementation for everybody. Yeah, just a few years, just a few years. So I'm curious, uh, Rick, you're a very gadget, high tech oriented person. What are some of the yeah. things, from your knowledge of what ADSB proposes, what are some of the things that excite you? What are, what are some features that you look forward to using? Well, I mean, I, I guess I don't know enough about it to speak all that intelligently about it, which <laughs> doesn't mean I won't speak anyway. But um, no, it, it, I think situational awareness, I think um, being more aware. I mean, I, that's sort of the thing that always that I'm you know most concerned about a lot of the times when, when flying is being aware of, of, of where everyone is. And I'm, 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 from, what I could, from what I know, that's what a big thing that will be improved, right? I mean, yes, yes for, that's, so, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, you know, for me, that's that would be just really exciting just to to be even more certain of of the the sort of sea of other people up there that are moving around me and where they all are. Um, 
So, you know, I don't know if there's another specific thing that you're aware of that, you know, that, that I should know about, but that, that's certainly my sense of why I'm looking forward to it. I'm thinking yeah. How about the flight of, you know, information? Well, yeah, flight what? information and weather information. I think that, the oh, yeah. you know, is going to be a huge help. Right. Have that, having that loaded in as well, exactly. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, that'll be no charge, correct? There's no subscription for that. Correct. For, uh, yeah, you, but now with that said, there <laughs> is other information, weather information that will be a charge, like from a commercial operator, okay. if it's, it's produced by a commercial operator. Just like when I talked about the, the eight cars or the text messaging system, that's going to be a charge from mm-hmm. commercial operators. So those, those pretty charts that you get from your commercial operators, you're going to have to pay for those services. But, uh, but still, all the FAA available, you will be able to eventually have access to all that. I think that's so. good. You know, that's a huge improvement, uh, will be a huge improvement for most pilots. There was, you know, there was one, one thing, uh, I was considering talking about, but it's just a, it's a, um, an accident that happened overseas in Southeast Asia, a, uh, King Air was coming in and landing in, um, some really gusty winds and downpours got struck by lightning and the wing, the left wing, fell off the airplane and it crashed and everybody on board did not survive. And I wonder, you know, what were the weather conditions going on that, uh, how do, how do you let yourself get that far down in a situation in weather where something like that might happen? Um, and you know, the everyday average pilot in a general aviation aircraft, even XM is really great, but since it's, you know, it updates every couple of minutes, it's not the same as an onboard radar that's sweeping back and forth. And one of the things that I see is, you know, helping greater awareness with weather avoidance. Yes. Yes, that's for sure. Especially, you know, when you're making plans around it, you know, obviously with mm-hmm. anything is to give yourself a lot of room, but uh, I, I I think it's awesome. I, I'm I'm pretty excited about all this and and I I think too that there's like I said there's a lot of people that are are, are critics of this but I think the more and more people as we get used to this and uh, see that they're they're taking a very measured approach and it's very you know they're they're looking at this on the general aviation side trying to make not put too much of a burden on us it's it's actually it's going to be good for us uh, eventually and and like I said I think the key player being AOPA in this has has helped quite a bit. You know, big kudos to them. By the way, uh, speaking of ADSB, if if you want a a really good video to watch about ADSB, I really liked actually the FA's video on ADSB, and I will have a link to that on Stuck Mike Avcast. And it's just, it really does a great job of explaining what ADSB is. Has great graphics. It also has a lot of interviews from the folks at Embry Riddle. Embry Riddle was a, a key player in a lot of the development of ADSB, uh, both in and out. So so check that video out. When you get a chance, about six, seven minutes long. It's really good. Perfect. Well, that's uh, you know a really cool experience that you got to be part of. Uh, in the, Amazing. The, the proving runs there in the Airbus, um, and yeah, and it sounds like. Did I say? Was, hmm? I, I didn't mention I also was the flight attendant on the flight. Oh yeah, yeah. you tweeted about that. <laughs> oh or something, yeah, right? yeah. So you changed uniforms <laughs> in the lavatory, I, put your well, skirt on, and went and served what, drinks, what's, or what? What's really funny is like there's all these like really like. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody. What's the word I'm looking for? Technically uh, savvy. <laughs> I just say people. nerd. <laughs> I know. I almost said nerd, nerdy kind of people. I'm kind of a nerd too. So I, I, I went back there and I was like, okay, guys, let's let's talk a little bit about exits and safety. And 
And and they're like, oh no no no, you got to do it just like the flight attendants. Did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're kidding me. It's always like, it was. I am so glad nobody had a camera. Did, you, wrap, like, did you like wrap the seatbelt up on one hand and let it? No, oh, or no, wrap the, the oxygen wrap the, masks. The oxygen yeah. mask. Yeah, let it drop that whole thing. Yeah, well, I yes, but nice. I, but I dropped the. Oh, if anyway. anybody has that video. <laughs> <laughs> I so hope. Uh, I don't think anybody had it on, but I, I went through the demo uh-huh. and it's like, here's the doors, there's the doors, and and uh, totally screwed it up. I mean, I totally messed it. I had to do it a couple times. Like, hey, okay, now this here and that here, and then I went over everything. But uh, the cool thing is, I also played flight attendant because I knew how to find all the Coca Cola. Mm-hmm. So they they actually liked me a lot there. But uh, neat well, stuff. If, though. if there are any flight attendants listening to our podcast, they would say. <laughs> <laughs> that, you get, that their job is not as easy as oh no some might think. no as a matter of fact one really really important thing that they do which you don't think about when you're you're a pilot up front flying is the doors remember all those doors have slides attached to them and if you screw that up you could cost a lot of money for instance we arm the slides before we we leave on the right. doors right. and and say you open that you forget to unarm the slide when you arrive uh-huh Ouch, and it's it's happened before. Uh, so, <laughs> or you choose to exit the aircraft. You choose to slide. I was wondering who was going to go. Particularly, but anyway, our picks of the week. Why don't we uh, move on to our picks of the week here, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, Sean, tell us about your pick of the week. <laughs> My pick of the week is an iPhone app that I uh, just downloaded uh, actually while I was on vacation since I was in a bunch of airports called uh, Flight Radar 24. And it's um, sort of your run of the mill flight tracker app, except that you can, you know, it'll it'll show you all the, uh, I guess they're probably just IFR flights or flights on a, on a flight plan of some kind um, over a map. And you can tap on the airplanes. And when you do that, you get a little bit of information. And you can also tap a little button that says 3D, and it will give you a, uh, a view as if you're in the cockpit flying over a satellite image wherever that airplane happens to be flying. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. I'm not sure if this is a new app. It's new to me. But uh, it's, it's a cool way to sort of visualize what airplanes are flying around, what they're seeing from their perspective. And uh, I believe it's $1.99 in the iTunes store. And I believe there's an Android version as well, though I couldn't, uh, couldn't what, swear to What's that. it called again? It's called Flight Radar 24. Flight Radar 24, cool. Mm-hmm. Very that nice. is neat. I tell you, that's, uh, that I would like be the, cool to see. I like the idea of uh, the, the simulated cockpit view. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. right now. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, uh, well, um, let's see. Well, well, Sean, that our, actually leads into mine because uh, oh, mine's kind of associated with that. Yeah. Well, let, well yeah, let's amazingly just go enough, out of I order here. Go ahead, Carl. <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind. I, I mean, because no, no my pick of the week was going to be uh, airportwebcams.net, and it is that. And, and the cool thing is it's got my favorite airport, of course, Tampa International, because that's where I, I fly into. That's home. And uh, on that website, uh, you can actually select – uh, the website where Tampa International is and look at all the different radars, et cetera. But the other thing you can find on there is Live ATC. And then they have this other thing that I was going to mention. It's called Flight Radar 24, which Sean just talked about. And that looks so cool. I'm, I'm, that's going to be my next app for download. I'll have to, I'll even give an update later on. But it has all the different things like flight stats, flight aware, all the airport data has all those links to that. And it's uh, airportwebcams.net. 
and it has live live cams from all over the the world. And it's, uh, for those airplane geeks like me, you get to watch airplanes take off and land at all these different airports. Neat. So airport wide has on that. Well, I've got another uh, mobile <laughs> app. I guess that seems to be the theme today, but that's okay. Another one, uh, or this one actually is from the AOPA Air Safety Institute, the Flight Risk Evaluator. Now, I've actually used different flight risk evaluators on both online and uh, in you know printed off PDF format. The app is available both on iPhone and Android, and uh, the simplest explanation is it's going to ask you a bunch of information about your pilot experience, whether you're instrument rated and current. Uh, then you're going to put in all of your flight time and experience. Uh, you're going to select your flight type, IFR or VFR. When are you flying, day or night? Uh, you'll put in your time. Let's see, it says minutes to departure. And then you'll enter your time in route, your fuel endurance, your departure and arrival airport. This is the only function of the app that actually is irritating me because it says enter your FAA ID, city, state, or name otherwise. So, for instance, when I'm putting in um, BOS for Boston and I hit search, uh, the first airport is General R. Fierro of Villalobos International, somewhere in Mexico. So the uh, it seems like the FAA ID search function is not quite uh, quite the best, but when I type in Boston in its entirety, it is the first airport. So uh, it's not, uh, I think that's the only, seems to be the only thing that I noticed playing with it earlier that gave me... Uh, so the only thing that uh, I'm, I'm trying typing in this, as you can tell, I'm doing two things at once here. But that's the only thing that I didn't care for so far. But say, for instance, uh, after I've entered in all this information, you know, um, it's going to ask me my runway of departure, runway of arrival. I don't know if anybody has used any sort of uh, evaluator, risk evaluator before, but basically it takes into account your experience, uh, your um, currency, and the airport that you're departing from, the airport that you're arriving at, uh, the current winds, and all kinds of stuff. And at the end, it you know it gives you a printout and says, "Hey, these are the things to be concerned with." And you know, for new pilots and even pilots, uh, you know, new and new and old and bold, uh, there's just a good tool to help you evaluate uh, what your risks are. And I'm just going through this again. There's a lot of fields here. Um, but yeah, it's uh, something to check out. Um, it's definitely, as you can tell, as I'm talking you through this, there's just way too many fields. Uh, but anyway, so I come up with really the end list is an item is either green, yellow, or red, like go, caution, or, um, you know, this is a, a reason not to go. And then it gives you the results. And so it's kind of an interesting tool. Again, it's the Air Safety Institute Flight Risk Evaluator called ASIFRE on Android and uh, iPhone. So, Rick, your pick of the week. Cool. Uh, yeah, mine is the um, update to Log10 Pro. So just this week, Log10 Pro announced uh, version 6.5. I say this week as we record this. Um, and and the, the, you know, this is, a, this is a program I use on my iOS devices. And, you know, it's, just, it's a very uh, well-done logbook. We've talked about it before. Um, iOS as well as, you know, Macintosh. I, I don't know that there's, I don't think it's on a Windows platform. No, 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 no. it's not. And anyway, but 
now it's in now it syncs in the cloud. So it's iCloud syncing. And that's what 6.5 has. There's a couple other features that got announced, but um, they've made it sort of more seamlessly flowing between uh, your various entry points. So if you've got your pad in the plane and you're adding data to a flight and you get home, it's it's already there. So it's pretty cool. And it's a nice update to uh, to what is a really great program. So that's Log10 Pro 6.5. You can find out more about that. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes at uh, Coradine. The After Landing Checklist. As, uh, as Rick says, links and show notes for this episode are available at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 65. Don't forget when you get there to like, tweet, and share the show. Help us uh, reach a little bit more audience. Share it with your friends, your family. Folks uh, you may be thinking are interested in getting started in aviation, we'd love to welcome them to our podcast family. Plus, you can leave us a comment on the blog. Uh, we love hearing from you. If you'd enjoy this episode, you can support the Stuck Mike Avcast by visiting any one number of our sponsors or affiliates listed on the website. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, you can visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. When you get there, you can send us an email, leave us a voicemail, Write us a letter and send it in the mail if you want. Uh, and, and each individual's co-host uh, contact information is also listed there. A very special thank you to our sponsors, Aviation Universe, for so graciously supporting the podcast. And from myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, and our under-the-weather Victoria Zyko. Thanks for tuning into Episode 65 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. And until next time, fly smart and fly safe. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast, a Len Costa production.